Next year, there's going to be a very profound change in the way public health is managed in Australia with the development of the Australian Centre for Disease Control. But what's it all going to mean for public health practice? My guest today, Dr. Arma, is going to share some thoughts and we'll see if we can learn what we can. You're listening to Dr. Rama with Steve Robson, bringing you the best of health, medicine and people. My guest today is Professor Terry Slevin from the Public Health Association of Australia. Welcome to Dr. Rama, Terry. G'day, Steve. Thanks for having me. Terry, I gather that your background, you're the, the Chief Executive Officer of the Public Health Association of Australia, but your background is in psychology. Tell me a little bit about that transition from psychology to public health. Sure, Steve. Uh, I guess it started, my involvement in public health started in student politics, in truth. Uh, I was president of the University of Newcastle Student Representative Council and also the University Union, you know, so the place where you buy your beer and your chips and your gravy. Um, It doesn't uh, sound very, very healthy, Terry. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. And I confess at that stage of my life, I wasn't championing the closing of the bar or the improving of the menu at uh, the refectory at University of Newcastle. Uh, Add my time again, I might have had a crack at it, but I'm not sure how successful I'd be, Steve. Um, So I guess there's something inside me that kind of thinks, if you like, about politics and power structures and decision-making and who gets to have a say. So my psychology career was, if you think of in classic clinical terms, very short-lived. I figured sitting in a small dark room with another person hearing about their problems was probably not the way in which I wanted to spend my life. Mm. But I did have a background in understanding population health and the things around us and the role that that played in our health. My old man was an alcoholic very sadly, and that had a big impact on my family. He was a smoker. Um, But he was a very, very good man. Uh, And it was the environment which he he grew up. He's an Irishman, and uh, I suspect, you know, all of the uh, level of emotional kind of engagement that (laughs) Irishmen of that generation had. Mm. But and, And when he was solving his problems, he turned to the bottle. And, of course, as a young fellow started smoking and continued until his death in his early 60s of probably a combination of alcohol and tobacco-related disease. Um, But I suppose that kind of turned my thinking to the environment in which we all exist, the the environment that influences health, our health choices, but also health broadly of the community. It's not just about individual choices. So that took me on the path of firstly running the quit campaign in Newcastle, my hometown, where I moved from student politics and student talking about students' health into tobacco use in students. And then the local drug and alcohol service and the Hunter Drug Advisory Service started, got some money for, I think it was eight months, and I was paid for 30 hours a week to start up the quit campaign in, in my hometown. Um, and that started me on a path in April 1984. So closing on 40 years, I've been banging this drum, Steve. 40 years is a long time. I think you spent some time in Perth. Have I got that right? Yes. Um, when I was r- running the Quit for Life campaign in New South Wales, the state government, Nick Greiner was Premier, uh, and um, it was frustratingly tokenistic, I thought, as an ambitious and, I think, Mm -hmm. impatient young bloke. Um, And um, New South Wales Health and I parted ways when uh, a job came up in 
Perth to run the Ratbag Outfit called the Alcohol Advisory Council. It was a small two-man show funded by Healthway, the Health Promotion Foundation, and it was a chance to talk about alcohol policy uh, and to influence, I hoped, government policy when it came to alcohol. So I left New South Wales government to go to Perth and be a rat bag on alcohol, and Nick Greiner left New South Wales government to go and sit on the board and I think ultimately chair the board of WDNHR Wills from memory. And I kind of looked over wow. my shoulder and thought, well, that was probably a good call. Um, uh, but uh, I spent 26 wonderful years in Perth. Both my Well, my daughter was four months old when we went over. My son was born there and they still live in Perth and it's a beautiful part of the world. And I learned a lot about public health from a lot of the doyens of public health in Western Australia where there's still a strong feature of the health system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Terry, you're now the CEO of the Public Health Association of Australia, and I suspect a lot of our listeners don't know a lot about the organisation. My sense is it's very diverse. Can you tell me a little bit about the uh, organisation? Sure. We're uh, a member-based organisation. We've got about 2,000 members, both individuals and organisations. I'm pleased to see your shop. AMA has been a member of ours for a while, well done, uh, but also academic institutions, uh, people who work in the not-for-profit. So the membership is made up of academics, people who work in government, people who work in not-for-profit sector, students, uh, as I mentioned, organisations. And uh, it's a kind of a weird outfit, Steve, because our members give us money for the privilege of doing more work for free that benefits other people. And I say that to every decision maker I meet, politician, bureaucrat, uh, and I think it's important because people understand that my members are there not for their own benefit. They don't get cheap uh, deals on their mortgages or their car loans, nor do they get industrially represented by us and they don't get a monthly wine deal. Uh, they there to stand out for public policy and public health that's based on evidence. We run a journal, Australian New Zealand Journal of Public Health, we're very proud of. More than a million downloads a year happen from the data that's published in our journal. Uh, And ultimately, our objective is to translate good science into good public policy for best health outcomes possible. So, Terry, you and I both uh, spent a lot of time, uh, I guess, talking with people at health in the minister's office and so on about the forthcoming uh, Australian Centre for Disease Control. But I was wondering if you could talk me and our listeners through what the changes are going to be when we have an institution. How is it going to alter the way things are done uh, compared to the way things are done at the moment? Well, that's uncertain at the moment, Steve. But but I'm going to give you a little bit of a history and run-up lesson before we start talking about how the CDC is going to change Australia and the world, and I hope it does. But it's interesting to reflect on the fact that the Commonwealth Department of Health was established in 1921, and it was established off the back of two things. The first was the First World War, where doctors looking after the soldiers in the army in the First World War realised that it wasn't bombs and bullets and gas that were killing our soldiers, but it was public health-related issues. It was infections, it was malnutrition, it was uh, things like smoking and the like. So they came to realise that looking after the health of the soldiers certainly, you know, send them into battle as well-prepared as they could do, but ultimately being well-prepared as being healthy. And a lot of them weren't around that time. And so they absolutely brought the lessons of public health back from the war and figured that the same principles should apply to the Australian population. Uh, 
Now, uh, around that time, we also had a little thing called the Spanish flu pandemic, mm. which we've all kind of referenced and learned a bit more about over the last few years. Um, and so that further reinforced the importance of establishing a national health body, because up until that time, one didn't exist. So there's a fellow by the name of John Compston, who advocated for the establishment of a Commonwealth Department of Health, and he became its first director, and he was so from 1921 to 1945. Imagine being the head of the Australian Department of Health (laughs) for that period of time these days. And it's interesting to list the things that they did, Steve. So this is what it was set up to do. It was set up for the administration of the Quarantine Act, for the investigation of cause of disease and death, the establishment of laboratories, control of the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory, collection of sanitary data, investigation of health in industry, education of the public in public health, control of the Australian Institute for Tropical Medicine and control of infectious diseases amongst former members of the ADF. So that's probably not a bad starting point to think about in terms of the scope of the CDC uh, now or in 20 and we're going into 2024. Uh, and, you know, we went into the last federal election knowing full well that, that the conservative side of politics was determined not to establish the CDC. They said things are fine. We have the infrastructure in place. We don't need it. Um, but Labor committed to establishing a CDC when Chris Bowen was shadow health minister. And that went yeah, I remember that. Then. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, now it's Mark Butler's responsibility to make it happen. So what's it going to do, Steve? How's it going to make a difference? Well, the starting point is through the pandemic, we all learned that the states had the responsibility for on-the-ground execution of public health policy. We saw border closures. We saw different policies with regard to restrictions, lockdowns and various controls because the head of power exists in those state legislation and does vary from state to state. And some states have quite old public health legislation. Commonwealth's role is to help that work better and there's a number of structures that are important to make that work. There's, for example, CDNA, the Communicable Disease Network of Australia, which interestingly is essentially, again, a group of volunteers. They are people in the jurisdictions who have responsibility for communicable disease protection, planning and the like. And they come together nationally to cooperate and there's a, a secretariat in the Commonwealth Department of Health, but it's still the responsibility mostly of the states to do the doing. So as a starting point, the CDC needs to be doing more doing when it comes to that stuff. Formulating consistent policy, the extent to which they can achieve that um, without taking the powers from the jurisdictions, but also ensuring a greater level of efficiency and consistency. Now, we all look at our phones and around that time, if we moved around, we had different check-in apps and various other devices to deal with each of the setups that were created by the jurisdictions. Some of them work well, some of them less so, but there's a lot of duplication. There's a lot of inefficiencies. So getting those things right, consistency of data capture, reporting, definitions, um, but also maximising the extent to which there was consistency and cooperation across the states. Now, all of this, Steve, should be said in the context of absolutely heroic efforts from those people over that period of time. And you and I both know many of Mm. them who are working 20 20 hours a day consistently for 12, 18 months, even two years. It was an extraordinary effort by those folks. So nothing in what I say should be a criticism of them. But I think everybody would agree there were a whole bunch of stuff we could have and should have done better. Terry, do you think politics has been an issue in public health in this country? And do you think that an ACDC, I love the term ACDC, has the opportunity to help take politics out of decision-making and action? 
Well, to get our highway to health, Steve, my <laughs> argument is that um, politics is a reality of public health. It always has been and always will be. So let's not pretend we can take it out. But the notion of the CDC and the discussions we've been having are about its independence and what does that mean and how will that work as a Commonwealth government agency? That's what it is. But how can it look people in the eye and say, we are providing this advice on the best available evidence and with the interest of the health of the population in mind, and those are the only things that drive our advice. Nothing else. We don't need to be re-elected. We don't need to look good in front of the public, and we need to be prepared to provide unpopular advice. And, of course, we all know that politicians always struggle with unpopular advice or un unpopular decisions. It's the nature of the political system. So the extent to which the CDC can establish itself as independent, it will be determined by its governance structure. It needs to have a strong independent board chair and a strong board that can back the leadership of the entity so as to make those hard decisions, those hard recommendations and do so publicly, but do so with credibility and the resources that allow that to be so. So uh, we think that's an important component uh, of the design of the CDC and that's the thinking that's going on now. So if we look around the world, Australia is one of the last places to actually institute a, a CDC. Um, what lessons do you think we can take from the function uh, and history of CDCs in other comparable countries to this? Do you think we can learn lessons, Terry? Oh, absolutely. There's an enormous amount to be learned. I mean, uh, I know Paul Kelly, Chief Medical Officer, is fond of saying that the CDC in the US started in one state and focusing on one disease, and it grew and evolved to what it became. Um, but clearly in the circumstance where the Trump presidency really did demean and diminish the influence and capacity of the CDC to do its job through the pandemic, um, the history books will, I'm sure, show that. But there's recently been developments of the African CDC, the Japanese are in the process of putting one together in a very Japanese kind of way, have given themselves five years to do the planning and establishment of it. Um, the European CDC is another one, and they're dealing with the challenge of dealing with a number of countries across Europe and all of the, um, uh, I guess, complexity that goes with that. But people are genuinely thinking about how to do this, how to do it better, and how to make sure that we can create the kind of entity that serves Australia well in the context of our federated system. But we are an island nation, and there's a whole bunch of advantages to that. There's stock and great mo big moat around us, certainly helped us during the pandemic. How do we make the best advantage of that? But how do we also uh, ensure that we build in the capacity to share our expertise with our neighbours near and further? Um, the the, the Asia-Pacific region uh, is an area where Australia can and should play a leadership role. Uh, so those are the things that certainly should be designed into the thinking for the CDC. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that we have uh, we're perfectly positioned to to help and to um, be, I, I guess, a big sibling to a lot of uh, Pacific countries who struggled. I, I know that there were tremendous struggles in Papua New Guinea in dealing with the pandemic, and and you know we're well suited, and I think we have a lot of expertise, and and I I certainly agree with you about that leadership role, Terry. So I guess moving forward, one of the big things that I always harp on about is that a lot of disease that we treat, and we, we spend a lot of money treating in the Australian health system, is essentially preventable. Um, do you think the CDC can 
can really look at the social and other determinants of health and, you know, bring a focus on prevention to health in the country? Steve, not only do I think that it can, but I think it must, and it's built into its basic kind of DNA. It's certainly built into the DNA of public health. Um, Now, I want to read you the words that were in the ALP pre-election commitment with regard to the CDC. There's not many of them, and it says an Albanese government will improve pandemic preparedness and response by establishing an Australian CDC. The CDC will ensure ongoing pandemic preparedness, lead the federal response to future infectious disease outbreaks, and work to prevent non-communicable or chronic diseases, as well as communicable, in brackets, infectious diseases. The Australian, All Australians will benefit from improved pandemic preparedness and response, as well as a renewed focus on preventing chronic disease. And the other thing to point out, Steve, and it's pretty obvious, and you know this as well as anyone, that the two things aren't so entirely separate as to operate in different worlds. Being well prepared for an infectious disease outbreak starts with being as healthy as you can be in the first place. And that means uh, tackling those risk factors for the things we know contribute to chronic disease, overweight and obesity, alcohol, tobacco, illicit drug use, all of the things that we know undermine people's health and the things that are behind those things, the causes of the causes, if you like, um, poverty, homelessness, discrimination, all of those things that we know are fundamental to our human rights, but also our health and well-being. So uh, the CDC has to have that kind of lens and has to run that across all the things that it does. Uh, and ultimately, it has to be expert. It has to have the workforce capacity and establish a program to ensure that into the future. One of the things I've been batting pretty relentlessly for, Steve, is the creation of the Australian Public Health Officer Training Program. It exists in New South Wales and has been running for more than 30 years and is very successful. What it does is recruit very well experienced and um, best of the best, if you like, of people with an interest in the public health world, whether they're medically trained or otherwise, and then puts them through a rigorous training program where they de- develop expertise and connection across the New South Wales health system. They b- build those connections uh, and they grow as leaders. And many of the leaders of New South Wales health have come out of that program. And I think we should do the exact same at a national level. It should connect up so that people can move around Australia and get the experience from the Kimberley to Tasmania, uh, from uh, Bunbury and southwestern Western Australia up to Cairns and across the, the country, working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, working in epidemiology, working on communication skills, working on the, the the diverse range of skills that we know come together to make an effective public health system. Yeah, look, absolutely. Look, Terry, it's a pleasure speaking with you. There are so many things I want to talk to you about, everything from uh, gambling harm to to uh, the social um, determinants of health and so on. So I think we need to speak again soon, but I want to thank you for speaking to me this afternoon. Um, uh, what are you doing on the rest of the long weekend? Have you got plans on what's left? Well, I might be belting down to the Canberra Olympic pool, Steve, and try and punch out two and a half Ks, maybe three if I've got time, try and keep myself uh, from blowing up to a balloon and trying to keep the heart going, um, <laughs> uh, and maybe or a walk, not quite sure, depending on the opening hours for the pool. I've, I've been friends of Canberra Olympic pool, a little mob that I established just to keep the pool going and make sure we put the pressure on the ACT government, and they've been making good recent announcements on that, so I'm happy to say that um, I'll be able to keep on jumping in and ploughing up and down and probably tweaking that 
little injury in my left shoulder as well, but uh, all part of the fun of getting older, Steve. Absolutely. Look, you're setting a fantastic example. Thanks, Terry. Um, I'm hopefully going to be speaking with Terry again soon. Thanks for listening to Dr. Rama. You've been listening to Dr. Rama, a podcast produced on Ngunnawal country by the Australian Medical Association. All rights reserved.